Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something... Other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, Here. everybody. Episode 372 of the podcast. Oh, it's Super America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, people. And let me tell you this. Some of these Tuesday shows... It has been hard to drum up content for. Some of these shows, there just hasn't been all that much to talk about. I will tell you this right now. That is not the case today, as there was so much that happened in the world of sports on Tuesday. Let's break it all down in addition to a great guest. We will open with... A tough, tough day in the SEC for COVID. A bunch of schools are shut down. One game has been canceled. Other games are in jeopardy. We'll talk about what happened, why it happened, what can be done to avoid this in the future, if anything. And uh, it's just kind of craziness. It's kind of craziness that it all popped up at once. We will then transition into another football topic that I kind of glossed over on Monday's episode that I thought Tuesday a little bit more time to discuss. Uh, I thought it was a good time to bring it back. We will discuss Hugh Freeze, who will be the most eligible man on the college football coaching carousel this offseason. A couple SEC programs are already clamoring for him. Is he a guy who could be at an SEC school near you as early as next season? We will then transition to basketball. The first AP basketball poll came out on Monday. I'll tell you what I liked, what I didn't, teams that are overrated, underrated. We will do a quick Big 12 preview, which will lead into a guest that I think you guys will love, okay? So I teased it on Monday's show, but Cade Cunningham, if you're a college basketball fan, you know the name. He was the number one high school player in America last year, and he is a guy that I've talked about a ton on this show, whether it is when he committed to Oklahoma State choosing the Cowboys over Kentucky and North Carolina, or whether it was when Oklahoma State got hit with NCAA sanctions, and was he going to stay, was he going to transfer, pursue other options, all that stuff, but I bring it up because I have talked about him a lot. I've interviewed him before, not on the podcast, but I wanted to bring him on. He's an incredible kid. I think you will see now why I am so excited to watch him play college basketball and why I've spoken so highly of him. He is just an incredible kid, a dynamic kid, a player that I think will be the number one pick in next year's draft after an incredible season at Oklahoma State this year. We will talk a little bit about his recruitment. We will talk about why Oklahoma State, why he decided to stay even after the school was put on sanctions, the relationship he has with Mike Boynton, his brother brother being on staff. A lot of interesting angles with Cade Cunningham. He is a great kid and I really enjoyed talking to him. Before we get started, very, very briefly want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Three episodes a week, every week, great guests. Uh, And I should mention, speaking of guests, good one coming up later this week. I don't want to give too much away, but a familiar face will be rejoining me on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast and we'll do an NBA preview next week with uh, NBA draft prospects like Obi Toppin and things like that. But in the meantime, make sure you're subscribed. 
iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. It really does help. If you can go on, give us a quick five stars. Leave a review if you please. And then finally, all the social medias, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. A lot of cool stuff going on there. Aaron Torres, uh, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Facebook, you can find me. And of course, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And with that said, people, no more time to waste. Let's get into it. So much to talk about. And the big story, the unfortunate story, to be perfectly honest, was what happened on Monday across the SEC where it just felt like for about a two-hour window, three-hour window, every 15, 20 minutes, a negative COVID story came out. Um, You know, you guys know where I stand on COVID, but the reality is there are rules in place, and those rules and the positive tests that are happening across college football, specifically in the SEC, are wreaking havoc on that league, and in particular, are wreaking havoc on this weekend's upcoming schedule. Because as I said, for about two hours straight, every 20 minutes on the dot, we had a bad update, a negative update when it came to COVID. We find out that Sam Pittman, the Arkansas head coach, has tested positive for COVID. The good thing, he's older. He's obviously in some of those concerning age groups. He is asymptomatic. He seems to be fine. And while I guess in theory he could do the Nick Saban and just take tests back to back to back to back to back and hope you pass three of them in a row, it sounded as though that he is resigned to the idea that he will not be with Arkansas on Saturday when they fly to Florida. Um, In addition to Arkansas, Texas A&M, couple positive cases. They have shut down practice. They have shut down football operations for the day. Uh, LSU, Coach O just straight up admitting, we got a bunch of positives. We're barely at the threshold to play right now when you factor in contact tracing. They, of course, play Alabama this week. And then Mississippi State went so far as to already cancel the game against Auburn this coming weekend. And it's important to note that as I record here on Monday night, this stuff is very fluid, okay? Uh, I saw Mark Stoops say that Kentucky has a positive case or two, and he is concerned. Vanderbilt playing against Mississippi State last weekend. Will that at all be a factor? So this is fluid. Hopefully we get some good news. As of right now, knock on wood, only one game has been canceled, Mississippi State at Auburn. But at the same time, a lot could change between now and Saturday. And frankly, even between now and when you listen to this show on Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. In terms of why this has happened, I think this is an important point, and I think it's going to continue to be an important point as we get down the stretch here in college football and into college basketball. I do think there's a number of factors as to why this has happened, and there's a couple of interesting kind of learning experiences that we can take from this to hopefully limit these outbreaks again for the rest of the football season and into basketball. The first reason that this has happened, and it's kind of funny, I guess you want to say, kind of ironic, kind of whatever, is Halloween was two weeks ago. And if you know anything about the incubation period for this virus, uh, it can take up to 10 days to two weeks to actually show up in your system. And I think we got to at least consider that Halloween was two weeks, two weekends ago, that there is maybe no better night of the year to be a college student. I loved Halloween. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and get on my high horse and pretend that I didn't love Halloween when I was in college because I loved Halloween. But Halloween happens and all of a sudden cases are spiking. At LSU, Ross Dellinger, friend of this podcast, reported that it was a Halloween party that led to this uptick in positive cases. Mississippi State had a bye week that week, and while we can't put two and two together, I think it's fair to assume that probably all 80 80 to 85 guys on that football team, and they've lost some guys over the last few weeks, I think it's fair to probably say that I don't think all 80 of them stayed in their dorm, uh, you know, all (laughs) the entire weekend of a bye and of the, uh, you know, and of Halloween. And so I bring this up because what it, you know, what it points out to me is a continuing trend that we have really seen since the summer. Anytime there is a weekend or a moment where people get together and celebrate, 
we see an uptick in cases after that, okay? You can go back to Memorial Day when football players were first returning to campus, when a lot of them got to campus that first, second, third week of June, right after Memorial Day, cases spiked not only in the football offices, but also across the country. Cases went way up after Memorial Day. They went way up after the 4th of July. Oklahoma, if you'll remember, they had a week off before the start of the season. They come back, a bunch of players test positive. Any moment in time in which you're going to be with other people, celebrate with other people, that is going to play a role in an uptick. I think as we get ready for college basketball, that's something that we have to be ready for. Most of these teams will be with the team on Thanksgiving, so it's not as much of an issue. But I'll tell you, teams are going to send their players home for Christmas. Um, Teams are going to send their players home for New Year's, even if it's just for a day or two. And I'm telling you, it's going to be inevitable that we get some upticks after that. Hopefully, college basketball can keep their players safe. Hopefully, it's not crazy. But it's something to consider because we have a pretty good track record any time that people are getting together and celebrating. There is an uptick in cases, whether it's Halloween, whether it's 4th of July, whether, by the way, I didn't even mention the return to school. If you remember when all these campuses opened in August and September, uptick two weeks later and now Halloween, and it has led to kind of the most interesting part of this college football season, which is something I've talked about, is that you know players are, are being more cautious than ever before. But you can't avoid it, and the actually most concerning part for a lot of coaches in terms of when their players are at highest risk is in moments when they're not around the facility and even when they're around their parents, even when they're around family. I find it really interesting. I don't know if I've talked about it on this show, but I've talked to coaches that are like, you know, on a college football Saturday, when mom and dad come to town, the most concerning part of the entire Saturday, I think Cole Kublik talked about it on this show, as a matter of fact, is when mom and dad want to give their players a hug after the game. They want to give their son, uh, you know, uh, 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 they just want to talk to their son. They want to spend time with their son. That is the part that concerns the coaches because the coaches can take care of the players when they're around the facility, when they're at practice, even when they're on the road. But when mom and dad wants to take them out to dinner after a big game, they can't control it. And so that is the first reason. It's Halloween, but it's really the broader of any time you're bringing in outside people that aren't being tested as often as these players, there is always going to be risk. And that is just something that we are going to have to watch out for, for as long as this virus kind of proceeds the way that it is. Um, The second reason why some of these games are canceled has nothing to do with COVID, but it's probably worth mentioning. Ross, Ross Dellinger brought this up uh, again, so credit to him from SI, but it's, it's something that's kind of common sense, is that it's not just COVID that is limiting these rosters. You have to remember that when co- players test positive for COVID, um, there is a minimum threshold of total players and players per position that you need to have to be able to compete. The issue is that as we get later in the season, as injuries pile up, as opt-outs pile up, it isn't just COVID that is going to cause numbers to dwindle on these rosters. It's going to be injuries. It's going to be opt-outs. It's going to be things that have nothing to do with COVID. And even with COVID, it'll be contact tracing and things that aren't directly related to the virus. And so Ross's point, if I'm reading his tweet correct, and if you know, even just people I've talked to, is like you can't just factor in that there's four, five, six players that are sick, another four, five, six that are have to do with contact tracing, but you got to think about the fact that there's six, seven guys that are out with season-ending injuries, two, three more opted out. Now all of a sudden you're down 20 players, you're having trouble fielding a team. And I think the third and final reason that this is happening is we just have to be honest with ourselves. It's cold and flu season. It's getting cold across the country People are spending more time inside, surrounded by other people. Viruses like this are going to continue to spread, and that is unfortunately just the reality of where we are right now, and I don't really know what you can do about that, right? Like, you can't, you can't send people outside. You can't have people, um, you know, spending as much time outside as they were, and so this is just something that, again, we are going to have to deal with, and I wish I had a better answer as to how to quell it, how to stop it from happening, but I really don't think there's much you can do. Listen, the Pac-12 and Big Ten are testing every day. 
they're still getting positive cases. Now, are they stopping an outbreak from happening? Maybe, but you're still getting positive cases and there's only so much you can do. Um, and so as I, as I look ahead to the, what's ahead for not just college football, but college basketball as well, like, I just think this is a reality and right. And I've said this before on this show, but I do think it's worth repeating is that in a perfect world, I love to come on this show and just say like, dude, I hear this is the problem. Here is the answer. Here is how we fix what is going on. The problem with this particular situation is there really is no fix. It's a virus and it's the middle of November and we're about to hit December and it's getting cold and there's not much that we can really do about it, right? Like, you know, I say this all the time, but if we tested for the flu and if we made players sit out for 14 to 21 days, if they tested positive for the flu and if players that were around them had to sit out, we wouldn't have sports after about Halloween because it gets too cold, people are indoors too much, and viruses spread too fast. And so I will say the one saving grace that the SEC at the very least has, that the Big Ten and Pac-12 have, they do at least have that built-in week at the end of the schedule on December 12th to make up extra games. For people who forget, the SEC, I think very smartly, they planned on ending their season on December 5th, which would normally be the SEC championship game, but instead they're playing an extra week that week. Then they have left December 12th open for any makeup games that need to get played. So that's the good news. The bad news, even with the good news, is that there are teams like LSU, which already have to make up a game on December 12th. So if they can't play this Alabama game this weekend, they're not going to be able to play the Alabama game, which sounds kind of crazy. But um, this is just a continually evolving story. And I just think it is something that we are going to have to live with as long as this virus is still around. Obviously, there were reports Monday about a potential... um, vaccine. So that's good news. Maybe that changes the game a little bit. But the reality is, like I said, we're entering cold and flu season. These players are going to leave campus at some point over the next few weeks for the holidays, whether it's for uh, Christmas, whether it's for a bye week, whether it's between for football, potentially uh, the end of the regular season and a bowl game. If your team's going to a bowl game, these things are going to happen. And I don't think there's any real resolution to it. Um, until we get a vaccine or until we really loosen some of the restrictions. All right, I want to get to a little bit more of a, I guess you would say a more fun football topic, right? And I, I do feel like, guys, I hope you understand, guys and girls, when I do this show, I have to report the news of the day. I have to talk about the big stories. And sometimes they're crappy, annoying big stories like half of the SEC having a COVID outbreak on Monday. But there are also really fun things that I get to talk about, and I try to splice them in. And so I want to do one of those right now, which is your boy Hugh Freeze, because I mentioned it on Monday's show, but I really glossed over it and would have liked to get into it more, but we were already at an hour's length of the show on Monday. And so Hugh Freeze, former Ole Miss coach, we all know his background, blindside, uh, was at Ole Miss as an assistant, goes there as a head coach, was at Arkansas State. Hugh Freeze is back in college football after being out for a year or two, and he is back at Liberty. And not only is he back at Liberty, but he is back in a big way, 7-0. and Liberty is an independent, but they have played two ACC schools, beat them both, beat Virginia Tech, beat Syracuse, still have uh, North Carolina State on the schedule for later this year, and they're one of the great stories in college football. And they're one of the great stories in college football because they have this coach who is obviously in the process of redemption, but in the broader picture, he's only been there in year two, already has them 7-0, and he's of course showing how good of a football coach he really is. And I don't think anybody who followed his career at Ole Miss had any doubt. Remember, this is a guy that beat Alabama and Nick Saban twice. This is a guy that took Ole Miss of all schools to back-to-back New Year's Six college football bowl games, but he also had some personal stuff in his life, and he had some major NCAA violations, which we'll get into in a minute, and so because of it, he was out at Ole Miss, but he's back at Liberty. He's winning big at Liberty, and so when you win big in college football and you had success previously, you know what that means. 
it means that we got some SEC fan bases on those message board streets and on those Twitter streets and pretty much everywhere in between clamoring for Hugh Freeze. I think the two that are really standing out to me, the first one is very obvious. It's South Carolina. Like the Will Muschamp thing is just not working. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be the guy. He is not the answer. Not in a division where Dan Mullen is rolling. Not in a division where Mark Stoops has his program stable and continuing to improve and recruiting at a level that they never have. And not in a division with Kirby Smart. And I've been critical of Kirby Smart. You heard it on Monday's show. But that guy, as long as he's at Georgia, is going to win 10, 11 games every year. Will he beat Alabama and everybody like that? I don't know. But Kirby Smart's going to win a lot of games. Will Muschamp is not in the same stratosphere as Kirby Smart or, or Dan Mullen. And I think you can argue what Mark Stoops has done is significantly more impressive than anything, Dan Mullen, than anything Will Muschamp has done. So South Carolina, their fans are getting impatient. They want a new coach. And on top of them... The folks in Knoxville are becoming less and less and less patient. Now, Jeremy Pruitt, he's only in year three. He just signed an extension recently. I don't think that Tennessee is anywhere close to moving off Jeremy Pruitt. But I'll also say this. Uh, started 2-0, and lost four straight, and, and outside of Vanderbilt could lose the rest of their games on the schedule. And if you go 3-7 and seven in year three, you really could be coaching for your job in year four, even though Jeremy Pruitt had such a good second season. So I bring all this up because Hugh Freeze is all of a sudden the pretty girl with no date to the prom, and everybody is lining up to ask her, or him in this case. I think you get the analogy, Hugh Freeze, pretty girl, whatever. Pretty guy, whatever. You get the point. Hugh Freeze is going to be the hottest commodity on this current coaching carousel coming up after this offseason, and it's starting to become a question of, can this guy get to the SEC, and can he do it as soon as this offseason? And I think it's a great story, and I think it's a fascinating story. But yeah, I'm just not sold that it happens this year. I'm just not sold that Hugh Freeze is in the SEC next fall competing against your favorite team. Uh, and let me explain why. And before I do, I should probably backtrack and say, uh, it's not because he's not a good coach, because we just talked about it. And it's not because it's what I personally do not want because I think it'd be great for college football if Hugh Freeze got back into the SEC for next season. Never forget, this guy is a content machine one and he's a really good football coach too. And the way he coaches, you get him the kind of players that he could get hypothetically at South Carolina. It, let me put it to you this way. If he could beat Alabama at Ole Miss, there's no reason that he couldn't compete with and beat Georgia and Florida at South Carolina. Like that, like you can argue with me if you want. I think it's indisputable that he's one of the five to seven best pure football coaches in college football. And once you get past that elite, elite, elite upper level of Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, you know, maybe Dan Mullen, maybe Lincoln Riley, maybe Ryan Day. There ain't many guys you're taking over Hugh Freeze just in terms of having a team prepared and ready to go. So in terms of content, I hope it happens. I hope I'm wrong on this. But there are a couple reasons why, and I'm starting to get this Hugh Freeze question quite a bit, so it feels like it's at least worth addressing on this show. And here are basically the two reasons why I don't think it's going to happen, at least not this coming year. One, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And I do still think it's going to be really, 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 really hard to fire someone and owe them a massive buyout in this world that we live in. Doesn't mean that no coaches are going to move, right? I talked about Jim Harbaugh on Monday's show. Never forget, Jim Harbaugh could go to the NFL. Michigan could owe him $0 on the way out. Um, other guys could retire. Other guys could step aside. Other guys could take other jobs. So it's not to say there will be no traction on the coaching carousel at all. But to, but to have a situation like, say, hypothetically, a South Carolina where you have to fire a coach and then pay him a massive buyout, I just don't think it's going to happen very often. You got to think about it from the perspective of the world that we live in. You got to think about it from the optics perspective. You got to think about it from the perspective that one, boosters just don't have as much money as they did a year ago, nine months ago, eight months ago. But two, all of these athletic departments are hemorrhaging money hand over fist. I saw a report that South Carolina could lose upwards of $58 million this year 
by having limited fans in the stands. That's a lot of money to lose in one year to then go pay Will Muschamp $15 million. Now, I know what some people would say, well, it happened in basketball. Danny Manning, he got fired with a big buyout, all that stuff. Danny Manning got fired in May before anyone realized the economic ramifications of having sports the way that they are in this climate with no or limited fans in the stands. Danny Manning got fired before basically every athletic department in the country has cut jobs across the board, has fired people, has let them go, has lost tens of millions of dollars. I just think optically it's going to be really hard for a school to get rid of a head coach in this environment with a massive buyout. Will Muschamp, from what I can read, if he is fired before December 1st, which I don't think is going to happen at this point, he'd be owed over $15 million. After this season, he would be owed $13 million. So if we're talking right around Christmas time when the season actually comes to an end. I just don't see it happening. Not that he freezes a good coach. Not that he's not entertaining. Not that Will Muschamp is a good coach because he's not. I just think it's going to be hard to pay somebody $13 million to go away in this climate. And then I think on the flip side, you got to think about the guy that we're talking about too, which is Hugh Freeze. Uh, And it's funny because I had a little bit of a Freudian slip on Monday morning. I was on Nick Coffey's radio show, 790 KRD in Louisville, and Nick asked me, do you think Hugh Freeze could actually get a head coaching job next season? And what I said is what I'm going to tell you now, and if you're in the car with, say, a small child, now might be the time to turn this down for the next, you know, minute or at the very least, uh, fast forward to the college basketball segment. But I bring it up because Nick asked me if you think he's going to get a job. And I said, well, Nick, it's funny you say that because everyone remembers Hugh Freeze for the NCAA rules violations for the Laramie Tunsil gas mask. But remember, he actually got fired for all the prostitutes. <laughs> and I said it on air. And I felt bad because there were probably children driving around in the car, not different than what you guys are going through right now, so I hope you did turn it down. But we have to remember, Hugh Freeze has the rare double whammy of personal problems as well as NCAA problems when it came to his time at Ole Miss. The NCAA came down hard on his program even if he was not found guilty. Postseason ban. Remember, Laramie Tunsil. NFL draft, video comes out of the gas mask bong. Laramie Tunsil has asked at the NFL draft if he was ever given anything while at Ole Miss, and he says yes on national TV. He said yes. Ole Miss gets in trouble, even if Hugh Freeze avoids any direct violations himself. That is a stain on his mark. And then, oh, by the way, he had the personal problems when he found out when Ole Miss found out that he was making calls to escort services on his company-issued cell phone. So as I said on the podcast, it wasn't Laramie Tunsil and the, the gas mask bong that got Hugh Freeze. It was Cinnamon and Destiny from over at the escort service that ultimately did him in. And so when you fire somebody and pay that person millions of dollars to go away, and then you're going to hire a guy that had escorts on the private phone and that had NCAA rules violations, that is a tough, tough, tough sell to your alumni base. And you have to remember, these ADs, they don't think like you and I. You guys are fans. You just want your team to win. Me, I'm in the media. I just want something entertaining. And Hugh Freeze is a lot more entertaining than anybody else can can be at, at, say, a South Carolina. But he also comes with a lot of baggage. And a lot of these ADs are like, dude, I'm at South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, whatever. I'm making a million dollars a year, $900,000 a year. I just want to keep this job and not get in trouble. Well, you know who's going to potentially get you in trouble? The guy with the NCAA rules violations. Tom Jurich had the easiest job in the world at Louisville. But he trusted Rick Pitino too much, and now Tom Jurich is doing whatever Tom Jurich is doing. You can go on and on and on. There's plenty of other examples exactly like that. Joe Oliva. LSU, he hired Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron won him a national championship, but he also hired Will Wade, created a lot of headaches, got forced out. And so I just don't know that an AD in this current climate financially is going to fire their coach to begin with, and I don't know that Hugh Freeze is going to get hired. To me, I think he will ultimately end up back in the SEC because he's too darn good of a coach, 
I think it's going to take some time, though. You know what this actually reminds me of? It reminds me of a little bit of the Lane Kiffin situation where the second Lane Kiffin got to Alabama, he blows up, has a ton of success as, as the offensive coordinator, and you think immediately, like, oh my goodness, this dude is going to be a hot commodity. And then you realized Lane Kiffin makes for great internet fodder and great, great Twitter fodder and great message board fodder. I don't know that most ADs wanted to hire him. And you know how I know that? Because he stayed at Bama for four years, ended up at Florida Atlantic, and it took some time to get him back to the SEC. Now, he's back now. He's handling himself well. But I'm just saying, in the broader picture, I'm just not sold that Hugh Freeze is going to be anywhere in the SEC anytime soon. I think it does happen. I'm just not sold it happens this offseason. And by the way, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I got no problem being wrong because that means that Hugh Freeze is back next year but I just don't see it. All right, really quickly, I do want to transition into some college hoops because um, one, we got Cade Cunningham coming up and it's going to be awesome. But two, uh, there is kind of a natural kind of uh, segue into the Cade Cunningham conversation. And that is that on Monday, the first first college basketball AP poll came out. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to spend hours breaking it down minute by minute, team by team, player by player, whatever. But I do figure that um, this is newsworthy and it is worth talking about. And so let's get into it really quick. Um, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you really about the four or five teams that I believe have been grossly uh, misranked and and, and we'll get into all that. But first of all, I want to say a few things. One, I do want to say... Um, that I actually think the com- the committee, the voters, they largely did a pretty good job. I mean, I looked at their vote, you know, their votes compared to my latest preseason poll. I don't see very much difference. I think you can argue on behalf of one team being too high, one team being too low, and we'll get that. But I think for the most part, I, I think it looks pretty good. And I'll tell you, here is the. T- I'll just read off the top ten. Okay, Gonzaga's number one, Baylor's number two, Villanova's number three. Virginia's number four, Iowa's number five. I will tell you, I had the same top four in a different order. I had Villanova, Gonzaga, Baylor, Virginia, but I got no problem with the top four. Iowa returns everybody. Kansas at number six, Wisconsin seven, Illinois eight, Duke nine, Kentucky 10. So in the grand scheme, I really don't have that many big complaints because actually I think they did a pretty good job. But I did uh, write. I did come up with six teams that I do think are misranked. Like I said, and there is an important note here, and that is Gonzaga, Baylor, and Villanova. They should be number one, two, and three, no matter what order you have them. Villanova was a Big East tri champion last year, won twenty four games. They returned everybody except for one player named Sadiq Bay. Baylor, who we are going to get into in a minute when we talk a little Big Twelve. Uh, they were unbelievable last year. I think people forget how good they were. They didn't lose from early November until late February and returned four starters off that team. Uh, and Gonzaga has some really good players. They had two guys, Corey Kispert and Joel Ayayi, one of my favorite names. Uh, they both tested the draft waters. I was told, actually, Kispert would have been a first-round pick and Ayayi could have snuck into the first round. They both came back. And I was told those guys have been killing it in practice, that they basically look like pros on a college campus. So top three, top four, I have no issue with. Let's get into some of the teams I have a problem with. Number five, Iowa. I'll just say I think it's a little too high. I'm not going to like lose my mind over it and complain and say it's the worst decision the pollsters have ever made. They do bring back Luca Garza, who was a first-team All-American last year, 24 points, 10 boards a game. Uh, and overall, when you look at them, seven of their top eight or t- six of their top seven scorers are back. Plus, they had their point guard Jordan Bohannon back, who was out for most of last season. So I get it. But when you look at them overall, they went twenty and eleven last season, eleven and nine in the Big Ten, and they lost four out of their last five down the stretch. No disrespect to Iowa, I think they're a really good program. But when I look at them. One, I think they're the third best team in the Big Ten. Illinois and Wisconsin both return a ton. They had better records last year, so I'd probably put them ahead of uh, Iowa. I would also put Kentucky ahead of Iowa, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, But Iowa, to me, is a little bit overrated at five. I would have them probably somewhere in the eight to 12 range. Uh, Another team that I have, actually, let's go to one that I think is too low. Kentucky at number 10, and I do think they're too low. 
I've said, I said when Olivier Saar was ruled eligible, I would have them at number five in the country behind Gonzaga, Villanova, Baylor, and Virginia. I I would have Kentucky top five, and the reason is very simply this. One, you can trust John Calipari, right? Four out of the last six years, they finished first in the SEC. The, the One of the years that they don't finish first, they finish second. That was the year with P.J. Washington and Tyler Hero, where they were essentially one play or two plays away from beating Auburn, going to the Final Four. Um, and when you win the SEC, you're going to be more than a top 10 team. You'll probably be somewhere in the top five to seven. I also think this is probably Kentucky's most talented team since 2016-2017, which was the year they had De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo. And I think this has a chance to be the deepest team they've had since 2014-2015 when they were undefeated in the regular season and probably the best defensive team they've had since 2014-2015. Not saying this team is going to go undefeated in the regular season. They won't. They got a really, really, really tough schedule. But what I will say is when you look at the way that they could potentially play defense, I look at them as a team... I think they're about the fourth, fifth best team in the country. They have great scoring on the perimeter with Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston. Great rim protection with Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson. They have depth, especially on the wing. And I just think they're the favorite in the SEC. I really do. I talked about it on last episode last week when I previewed the SEC. Uh, team that I have ranked too high, okay? So we're going to go too low, too high. Texas at number 19 is just too high. I get it. They returned tw- their top 12 scores, which is an insane stat. I've been covering college hoops for a decade. I don't ever remember a team returning their top 12 scores. But they also had Greg Brown, I should add. But here is the reality with Texas. Context matters and Shaka Smart matters. He's been there now five years. Check out this stat. He's only won 20 games twice in his five years. And I'll tell you this. If you're in a power five and you're even half decent, you should win 20 games, no doubt. Shaka's only won 20 twice. The first one came in year one when he had Rick Barnes' players. The second one came in 2019-2020 when they won the NIT and finished 16-16 and in the regular season. And if they hadn't won the NIT and won five games in the NIT, we're looking at a 16-16 and type team, 16-17, and 17-17 and type team. So don't buy the Shaka hype. I know they have talent. I will believe it when I see it at Texas. Team that's too low. I think this is the most misranked team in college basketball. UCLA at number 24. I don't understand how they are not in everyone's top 10, okay? And I understand Mick Cronin, you know, has struggled at times in the NCAA tournament, but he is a great regular season coach. And how about this for a stat with UCLA? They return seven of their top eight scorers, add Johnny Juzang, One of their top scorers, Chris Smith, I believe would have been a first-round NBA draft pick had he decided to go to the NBA draft. Instead, he comes back, and on top of the fact that they return seven of their top eight scorers, plus add Johnny Juzang, plus add a freshman that I really like, Jalen Clark, they also won 10 of their final 11 games, finished second in the Pac-12, and were one shot away from winning the regular season outright. That's preposterous, so just think about that. Think about if Kansas or Duke or North Carolina returned seven of their top eight scorers, added one of the top transfers, and finished second in their league the previous year. That team would be a consensus, if not not consensus, in the conversation for number one in the country. Instead, pollsters have UCLA at number 24, which says two things to me. Either they didn't do their homework, or they just don't realize how good UCLA is because they didn't bother to stay up late and watch games on the West Coast. I had UCLA at number 10 in the preseason, and I actually thought they might be a little bit low. I think they are the most misranked team in college basketball. I don't see any scenario you can justify them uh, them having not in the top 25, uh, not in the top 15, excuse me, and I had them in the top 10. Two more teams that I have is too high. I'll try to make this quick. One is Ohio State. Ohio State, they do this song and dance every year. Oh, they start high, they get really good at the beginning of the season, and then they fall apart. Last year, they started 11-1, got to number one in the country, finished 21-10 and overall. Not great at math, but that means, according to my math, they were 10-9 and down the stretch in their last 19 games. The year before, they were 12-1, and finished 19-14, and which means that they went 7-13 and 
over their final 20 games of the season. Every year they start really high. Every year they hit a low when they go into Big Ten play. And I'm just not going to buy them as a team that is going to be as good as the pollsters suspect, staying in the same conference. Another team that I think is just too highly ranked is Michigan. I actually thought Juwan Howard did a good job last year. For people who forget, Juwan Howard is the head coach at Michigan. He had never been a head coach before and hadn't been in the college game since he was a player in the early to mid-90s. And so for him to come back to college, they went 19-12, and 12, and they had a really bad injury to a kid by the name of Isaiah Livers. When Isaiah Livers played, they were really good. When he didn't play, they were not good. So I sort of understand Michigan even more maybe than I would Ohio State. But they also lost their starting point guard who averaged eight assists a game, was one of the best point guards in college basketball last year, and they lost their best big guy, John Teske, who was just a hoss down low. So to me, I don't think either of those teams should be ranked. Two teams that are unranked that I think should be ranked, very simply, LSU, talked a ton about them. LSU has maybe one of the five best rosters in college basketball. They have returning experience with Trendon Watford, Javante Smart, and Darius Days. Three of probably the 10 or 12 best players in the SEC returning real experience have been in that system for a while. Top 10 recruiting class. Cam Thomas is the name to know. One of the best scorers in high school basketball last year. He will add depth and scoring on the wing. And then they are loaded up front via the transfer market. Sharif O'Neal, Shaq's son, is now at LSU. Josh LeBlanc from Georgetown. Really good athlete, good athletic wing. Everybody wanted him when he hit the transfer market. Um, And Brian Penn Johnson, a legit seven-footer who was at Washington last year. So LSU has, I think, one of the five most talented rosters in the country. I had them at, like, number 16. I don't know how they're not ranked, unless you just don't like Will Wade. But guess what? If you're an AP voter, this isn't a popularity contest. Do what's right. Put the 25 best teams in. And there's no doubt in my mind LSU is one of the 25 best teams. Other team that I would have ranked that is unranked, you'll call it a homer pick. I just am calling it like it is. I think UConn's about the 23rd to 25th best team in the country. Easy to forget. You know, I could actually argue in terms of UConn that they were one of the few schools that was actually helped by the fact that there was no NCAA tournament last year because they were on fire at the end of the year and they had a freshman last year named James Booknight. If March Madness goes the way that it normally does, there is a chance that UConn, which was red hot to close the season, they won five straight to end the season, and I believe it was eight of their last nine, eight of their last ten, excuse me, when eight of their last ten and their last five, they are red hot, they're beating everybody in the conference, including Houston, who was the regular season champion, I think they could have gone to the conference tournament, won the conference tournament, and this kid James Booknight ends up blowing up going to the NCAA tournament and ending up in the NBA draft. Instead, he comes back. He averaged 13 a game last year, but it was closer to like 16 to 17 in league play. They also bring in a top-ranked recruiting class. They have a couple big-time transfers, one from Rhode Island, Tyrese Martin, one from Howard, or was it Hampton? Howard, uh, RJ Cole. They got depth. They got size, top 15 recruiting class. I think UConn's the third-best team in the Big East behind Villanova and Creighton. I would have them in my top 25. Uh, So those are the four teams that I think are ranked too high and too low. For people who missed it, the teams that are ranked too high. Iowa at number five, too high. Texas at number 19, too high. Ohio State at 24. And Michigan at number 25. And then the inverse. Teams that are ranked too low. Kentucky at number 10. I think they're closer to four, five, six. Uh, In addition to them, UCLA at 23, excuse me, is just preposterous. Ohio State, or excuse me, Ohio State, Kentucky, UCLA, and then LSU and UConn are unranked, and I think they should be ranked. All right, so Cade Cunningham coming up in a minute. Before we do, I just want to do a quick Big 10, Big 12, excuse me, recap so you guys can kind of get some context of what the Big 12 is going to look like going into this coming season. Um, First of all, I think the big story in the Big 12 to me is Baylor, right? I don't think people realize how good Baylor was last year. I just brought it up. But if you look at what they did last year, it was really incredible. Scott Drew, head coach, been there forever. You know, you kind of take them for granted, this, that, the other thing. Well, guess what? They went 26-4 and overall. They didn't lose a game from November 8th until February 22nd. So from the beginning of November until the end 
of February, they did not lose a game. Okay? Did not lose a single game. Finished 26-4 and four overall. They win at... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking here. They win at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. First time in program history. They were in line for a number one seed. They are, to me, the best team in the Big 12 coming into this season in large part because of the fact they bring back four starters off that team, including their top three scorers, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and Davion Mitchell. I would argue Jared Butler, another guy who was a potential first-round pick had he decided to stay in the draft. Uh, He will be, I believe, the Big 12 Player of the Year if it isn't Cade Cunningham because he's really, really, really good. Um, Second team, obviously, look, you always got to factor in Kansas. Um... I do think it's going to be a little bit of a down year for Kansas. For people who forget, their two best players, point guard Devon Dotson, center Adoka Azabuke, and you look at losing those two guys. Both of them are gone. Devon Dotson went pro. Azabuke graduated. That is a lot for them to lose. Those were maybe the two best players in the Big 12 last season. Kansas, of course, was in position to potentially be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They lose those guys. Kansas is going to be a different team this year. Think they'll be more guard oriented, more perimeter oriented, uh, and they have a couple really good wing players. Marcus Garrett was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year on the wing. Um, Ochai Agbaji, really, really good player on the wing. Scorer, I think he's an NBA caliber player. Christian Braun played well. They got a freshman named Bryce Thompson. I think the story is down low. Do they get production from David McCormick, who's kind of next in line to fill that Adoka Azabuke spot? couple more teams in the Big 12. What I would say is this. Texas Tech, to me, while properly rated in the polls, okay? So they are in the preseason poll. They are number 14. They are a team that I think by the end of the season will be playing as well as anyone in college basketball. For people who do not know about Texas Tech's roster, essentially their entire roster is... 6'4 to 6'8, wings, athletic, switchable, can defend. And the one thing you know about Chris Beard's teams, they love to defend and they love to get after you. And this is probably the chance to be his best defensive team since he's gotten there. They got a kid named Kevin McCuller who came on late, averaged about nine points per game. He was coming off injury last year, so he's finally healthy. Uh, TJ Shannon, big wing, who uh, a couple NBA people tell me they think is going to be a first-round pick next year. Joel and Tomway, who I've mentioned a few times, Jonathan Kaminga's brother, uh, and a couple other guys. I mean, Mac McClung, look, I, it's a cool story that Mac McClung is eligible. I think he's like the seventh most important player on that roster. Um, Mark, Marcus Santos Silva, grad transfer, big guy down low. What'll be interesting is that point guard. I do think the kid Kevin McCuller will get the bulk of the reps at point guard. They also have a freshman named Namari Burnett. But I'm telling you, Texas Tech, mark it down. Might not be great on December 1st. I would not want to see them in my bracket March 15th. Uh, Final couple teams in the Big 12. West Virginia, right? Oscar Shibwe, Derek Culver, awesome, physical, tough. I do worry about their scoring ability. I do think they were better down the stretch scoring. Miles McBride was their best scorer. Bob Huggins is really excited about him coming into this year. But they need to shoot the ball better. They need to score better. They only shot 28% from three. Final team in the Big 12 worth mentioning is Texas. I mentioned it a minute ago. 12 Top 12 scores are back from last year. Uh, but I don't trust Shaka Smart. So we will see. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in. And really fun interview coming up with Cade Cunningham. Cade is um, one of the most dynamic personalities, one of the most interesting people that I have had the pleasure of speaking with in this profession with high school kids. I just think he's a great kid. I, I, I Listen, I do this for a living. When you talk to 17, 18-year-old kids, you never know what you're going to get. Cade is well put together. He's uh, bright. And he has a lot to say about this Oklahoma State team, by the way. It's a really interesting interview. I think most of you understand, by the way, Cade Cunningham was the number one high school player in last year's high school class, okay? And then this coming year could potentially be the best player in college basketball and could be the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft. So we talk about his upbringing, the decision to go to Oklahoma State, what to expect from Oklahoma State, uh, the relationship that he has both with Mike Boynton and his brother who is on staff, 
And we also talk about the decision of just deciding to stick with Oklahoma State. Remember, Oklahoma State is under NCAA sanctions. There is a chance they will not be eligible for this year's tournament. But Cade was an incredible kid, friendly, outspoken, and I do think that you guys will enjoy this conversation. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us move up those iTunes charts. It really does help. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. And that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Now, from Oklahoma State, one of the top high school players in the country, now at Oklahoma State, maybe the number one pick in next year's draft, Cade Cunningham. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, very excited to have this gentleman. Uh, I was talking to you a little bit before, Cade, but got a chance to see in person a bunch, but but really in L.A., 20, what was it, summer of 2019 when life was normal, Pangos All-American camp, you were out here, got a chance to get to know you a little bit, talk to you about at that time the college process. You're at Oklahoma State, Cade Cunningham. My man, what's going on? I'm good, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A lot's changed since the last time you and I spoke uh, in this world. You know, first and foremost, just how are you enjoying your time at Oklahoma State? I mean, obviously, it isn't the the situation that any of us thought that you guys would be in as you get set for your freshman season. But how is life? How are you and your teammates holding up in what is obviously a crazy, unprecedented time? It's definitely crazy right now. Um, You know, the campus is a lot more quiet than probably the years past, but I've been having a great time. Everything's been really good. Um, practices, workouts have been great. You know, me and the team, we've all been gelling really good. Coaching staff is great. So, now I can't really say enough. Everything's been good so far. Very good. You know, you mentioned the coaching staff. Um, look, it goes out saying, you know, you and Coach Boyan have known each other forever. Um, you know, what is the difference between getting recruited by Coach Boyan versus now you know you knew him for three four five years before you get to Stillwater versus now when you're dealing you know you're with him on a day-to-day basis I'm just happy that he was so genuine about everything because you know we we had really built a really good relationship throughout my recruitment but it's always you know you never really know what you're going to get into whenever you officially sign to a school so you know when I really got here and you know first got to really have a real conversation with him and and just sit down and really see how the year was going to go. You know, he kind of laid everything out for me, but, you know, everything that he said, he's lived up to. So having that relationship has been great. When you said he laid everything out, I mean, obviously a lot during the recruiting process. Did you say when when you got to campus too, he kind of gave you an overview of everything? Definitely, definitely. You know, he, he definitely told me what all his expectations were um, and what he wanted from me. And, you know, he got to, he got to ask me, you know, what I needed from him and everything. And, you know, just having those open one-on-one conversations are, are huge for a player and a coach. What um, what kind of stuff did he say that he wants from you, he expects from you? Because obviously, look, there's a lot of hype. And, you know, one thing when I talked to him during the summer, you know, he said my job is to get Cade to be the number one player in the country, to be the number one pick in the draft. That are Those are some of the expectations going in. I'm not saying they're the expectations that you have, but expectations that people have been placed on you. But he said, my job is to help Cade meet those expectations. So what what did he really lay out for you when you got to campus? The biggest thing for him, he wants to make sure that there's no reason why I'm not the number one pick off the court. And, you know, having that, I know that I know how important it was, but he's really been pushing me, um, you know, being super early to everything, being on time, um, you know, pushing my teammates, being a good leader, everything like that. You know, those are all things that, you can control, you know, it's hard to control, you know, what shots go in and out. But, I mean, you can control a little bit, but, you know, it's hard to control all the other stuff. So, you know, really making sure that I'm, you know, acting right off the court has been super big for me. And he pushes me on the court in practices and stuff. So, don't think he's giving me a break in the practices and stuff. So, he's definitely on my head. Well, I saw in another uh, media availability you said that uh, somebody asked you that that I think he said he's harder on freshmen than anybody. I, but you didn't know that, but then you confirmed it. Uh, fair to yeah. say that, that he's as tough on you as anybody? Definitely, definitely. He doesn't give me any 
you know, special treatment or anything. He, if anything, he's a little bit tough on me because he wants me to be great. And, you know, I just appreciate that. You know, he told me when I spoke with him over the summer that he told you or he said at the very least that he believed that you were the best player in America, number one high school, maybe even before you believed it yourself. Is that is that fair or was he playing himself up a little bit? Nah, he's, he's been telling me that for a long time. I, I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to give him that one. He's been saying that for a long time, even before, you know, that's what people, everybody else started saying. So I'll give him that one. He's honest about that one. What do you think or what do you know that he saw in you that maybe you didn't even see in yourself when you were 14, 15, 16 years old? I think he just saw, you know, winning plays. You know, I think a, a lot of people would not see me as a highlight kind of guy just because, you know, I don't do all the flashy stuff. And But he saw a lot of winning plays and, and things that go into winning that might not show up on the stat sheet. And, you know, just having somebody appreciate that from an early age. You know, not you know, I always wanted to be the guy that was just, you know, doing all the flashy stuff. But, you know, that stuff doesn't really get appreciated as much. So having a coach appreciate that early on. And, you know, continue to, to encourage me throughout my high school years and throughout my recruitment. That was big for me. When I'd ask you that, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to see you in person here a couple times, you know, but a lot of people have only seen those highlight tapes, those mixtapes where you're throwing the ball between your legs, all that stuff, which is great, which is great. It's good you got it in your arsenal. But how for people who are going to flip on the TV, Oklahoma State, their first game, and see Cade Cunningham for the first time, how would you describe how you play? I think, you know, I'd almost rather somebody watch a real game than my highlight tapes. Almost because, you know, I feel like they really get to see what kind of player I am in a real game. You know, it's, it's more of, you know, winning plays, making sure that my team is in the right positions and stuff. That, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put those things in the highlight tape. So, you know, I feel like you're going to see a lot of winning plays, a, a winner, a leader, um, and somebody that's going to compete. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this as I kind of got set for this. You know, there's been a lot of really highly ranked guys that have gone places uh, and have not had success. And I don't want to speculate on who, why, what. But, you know, Anthony Edwards, there was a lot of hype with him at Georgia last year. Ben Simmons years ago at LSU. And I've argued, you know, I, I think it's going to be different Oklahoma State. One, because you have incredible teammates. And I don't think people realize how talented some of the guys that are that you are playing with are. But, you know, what about you? Because when I've seen you play, you do take pride in the little things, the winning plays. Uh, listen, it's great to, to make Sports Center or to throw down a nice dunk, but every time I see you play, that's the thing that stands out is that you seem to really take pride in the little things that help teams win. For sure, for sure. I think, you know, that's, those are the things that make winning teams winning teams. You know, defense wins championships. You know, winning loose balls wins. You know, all those little things is what wins, so. You know, I've, I've been one of the better players on my teams in past years, and I feel like, you know, if you're one of the better players, you have to be making those same plays that, you know, your, your role guy that's supposed to just be the dirty work guy supposed to be doing. So, you know, I take pride in trying to be everywhere on the court and helping all my teammates, and I feel like I do that pretty well. Yeah, you know, and one of the leadership things, too, you know, I talked to Coach two different times over this summer. One, when the NCAA stuff first kind of popped off, and then obviously later on after you had decided to come to school. But, you know, to me, you could tell me I'm wrong, but it would have been easy. I'm sure you had options outside of Oklahoma State. Um, obviously, you could have transferred if you wanted to, pursued professional options. What led you to the decision following the NCAA sanctions to say, you know what, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma State? You know, I had already been in so deep with Oklahoma State. I had already committed, I already signed and everything. Um, and, you know, I had already built a great relationship with the staff and the team. So, you know, I felt like there's nobody else that I really want to play with and play for in the country or, you know, overseas or anything. I hadn't built that relationship with them. So it's hard to go into a new environment where the coach hasn't really recruited you and expect him to, you know, want the best, have the best interest for you. So I knew Coach Boyden had the best interest for me, and that's what I wanted to play for. Independent of playing for the NCAA tournament, and there's still a chance that you will, like what are you hoping to get out of this year, man? Because, you know, knock on wood, but it, it feels – I don't want to put any pressure on you, but, you know, obviously there's thought that this might be your only year of college basketball. I think we all hope you get the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, but what are you personally hoping for out of this experience? I think the biggest thing – I want to learn as much as I can from the Big 12. You know, I feel like that's one of – in my opinion, it's the best league in college basketball. 
just because of their play style and everything like that. So, you know, I know every game's going to be a grind. You have to play every team twice in your gym and in their gym. So it's not going to be easy at all. But, you know, I feel like just learning from those teams that I get to play in, you know, all those environments, I feel like that would be huge for me in my career. Dumb question I probably should have asked a minute ago. How excited are you to just get on the court in a game that matters? I mean, dude, you know, we oh, talk man. about it, but, yeah, like – like, March was a long time ago at this point, and whether it's high school ball, college ball, it's been a long time since anybody's played a game that counts in the standings. Yeah, it's been forever. This is And this is easily the longest period of time I've went without probably everybody. This is the longest period of time we went without playing a game that really matters. So, you know, usually I've had AAU to rely on in the summer and stuff like that. Now it's just been nothing. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Kind of dumb question, but before you got to Stillwater, how were you able to pass the time with two, three, four months without any competitive games? Uh, a lot of working out. You know, Matthew Alexander, he flew out to Arlington with me. Okay. He worked out with me. Um, a lot of the OSU guys live not too far from me back home. So just so sticking in the gym, really. I don't, there's not too much other stuff to do. We couldn't really be outside like that. So, yeah, just staying in the gym, working out. Couple quick questions, we'll let you go. I mean, one, how does the team look? We are now finally a month to the start of the season, less than two, three weeks, whatever it is. How do you feel like the Pokes are looking right now? I think we look good. I think we look good. We're definitely starting to organize ourselves a lot better. Um, we're gelling really well as a team. We're competing every day. I think that's the main thing I'm proud of is how we're competing now. Um, and you know, everybody's been locked in. You know, it's a high enthusiasm in the gym now. Everybody's smiling, everybody's working hard. So. You know, I have a lot of high hopes for the team. I think we'll live up to them. Have you had a chance to really evaluate? I mean, you mentioned the Big 12, as good as it is, Baylor brings back a lot of guys. To, have you had a chance to really evaluate those other teams yet, or are you just focused on you guys and yourselves? Oh, I did. I evaluate them way before okay. I Okay. <laughs> so give, give us a scouting report. What do you got? Who's a, who, who, uh, who are you most intrigued to play by? Play with. I mean, I don't. I don't want to boost any of those teams. Heads <laughs> up you know, I'm, I'm. I'm excited to see them or anything. I feel like you know, I'm. Just, I looked into them already, so I've seen it. I've seen it for sure. Fantastic. Couple quick questions. Uh, first of all, you know, we talked a lot about Coach Boyton, but, you know, obviously there's a, been a ton of talk about your brother being on staff, all that stuff. It's been asked a million times. So let me ask it in a different way. How much fun is it for you? Again, this might be your only year of college, and a year from now, you're going to be cashing checks. You're going to be a grown man. You're going to be on the clock. Uh, it's going to be a job. How much fun have you had to just hang with your brother and get to experience this with him as part of the Oklahoma State uh, basketball community? It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You know, being – thing is, me and my brother, you know, we have a different relationship. You wouldn't really know it unless you've been around us, but – He's not he's not playing any games with me when it comes to practice. Like he's if I mess up, he's gonna let the whole practice know. Everybody in the gym. So, you know, we have we have this this weird relationship, but you know, being ha having him on the sideline and being there with him, you know, I've learned so much already in this short time that I've been at OSU and I know, you know, when the season starts, it's only gonna double from there. So I'm excited. Who's tougher on you, Coach Boyan or Coach Cunningham? It's different. It's different. <laughs> I think it's different. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Coach Boyden kind of sends Cannon because he's my <laughs> brother, so it's kind of a different approach. I don't know. They kind of – I don't know. They have their own different approaches to me. It's it's different. I don't know. Is it one of those, like, when you were a kid, like he grabs you by the, the head or anything like that or anything crazy yeah, yeah, or no? definitely. Like definitely. that. He made sure I wasn't soft, for sure. He made sure <laughs> that. All right, man. Last question, I'll let you go. Is there anything that an Oklahoma State fan should know that we haven't talked about? I mean, we hit a little bit on the team, your play, your performance. Obviously, you guys are fired up to get back on the court, as we said, for a game that matters. What haven't we talked about that an Oklahoma fan, Oklahoma State fan, excuse me, big difference, Oklahoma State fan needs to know about? No, I think, I think the biggest thing, you know, I know this interview has just been me, but you kind of touched on it a little bit is how good the rest of the players are on this team. You know, sure. I've been around them so much now for this time throughout the summer and now, you know, being able to practice with guys like Isaac and Caleb Boone, Keelan Boone, you know, all just MA, you know, the rest of our team, we have so many good pieces that, you know, I feel like a lot of guys are going to wake up a lot of people this year and, you know, have really big seasons for themselves and set themselves up well for the future. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's something I talked to Coach Boyan about during the summer is that, you know, so much of the focus has been on you justifiably, 
But the team was playing really well until Isaac went down in the middle of last season. He got mono for people who don't know. Um, and a lot of those pieces are back. And I, Isaac was playing an all Big 12 kind of level. He misses about a month. It takes him about a month to get back to 100%. You know, yeah. I, I think people are sleeping on some of the guys even that were there to begin with. Yeah, he's, he's back now. He's ready now, for sure. I'll let you know that. Fantastic. Kate Cunningham, preseason All-American. You know, uh, all the award stuff is coming out now. Uh, dude, I so appreciate this, man. Best of luck during the season. Hope to see you at a gym soon. Hope I'm allowed in a gym soon when you guys play. But uh, thank you, you for the time. Sure that. Yeah, what's that? You got to make sure you get in one of them. Well, I might, I might need to sneak in the side door or something, man, because, yeah. man, dude, I, it's been – listen, that's my – you know, you spend your time in the gym. I spend my time in the gym. It's been a long time since they let me in a gym. So I'm ready yeah. for this season to get going too. For sure. We all are. We all are. I appreciate you having me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.